she's gone out. So <laughs> we have started something this year um, that we, we want to do every week, and uh, that's just public reading of the Word before we preach. So what we do is we take the chapter that we're going to pull the, the kind of sermon out of, and we make sure we read the whole chapter. Um, and the reason for that is just because we want to make sure as best as possible that in these contexts we, we make sure we understand the context of the Word and where we're reading out of. And also, I firmly believe that the power of the gospel is in His Word. It's not in what I say or anybody who stands at the pulpit. It's the Holy Spirit. And so we, we want to just sit under the washing of the Word, let the Word just minister to us. So um, Courtney's going to do the reading um, today. We're going to read out of Romans 5. And uh, so I would actually encourage you not to, you're going to get into the Word with me in a second. I'd encourage you to actually just close your eyes. And as Courtney reads, just let the Word touch your heart. And then we're going to jump into that chapter together and unpack something I believe the Lord's going to bring uh, freedom. So, Courtney, do you want to come and just read Romans 5 over us? Jesus, we love your word. Thank you for your word that transforms us, your truth that brings freedom to our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your anointing and your grace on every single word, that it would bring revelation to every heart, that we wouldn't leave the same today, that we would be marked and transformed and enlightened and changed forever to burn for you, Jesus. We honor your presence and we love you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed. Through him, we also have access by faith into this remarkable state of grace in which we firmly and safely and securely stand. Let us rejoice in our hope and the confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God, the manifestation of his excellence and power. And not only this, but with joy, let us exult in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship, distress, pressure, trouble produces patient endurance. And endurance, proven character, spiritual maturity, and proven character, hope, and confident assurance of eternal salvation. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us, because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. While we were still helpless, powerless to provide for our salvation, at the right time Christ died as a substitute for the ungodly. Now it is an extraordinary thing for one to willingly give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a good man, one who is noble and selfless and worthy someone might even dare to die. But God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified, declared free of the guilt of sin by his blood, how much more certain is it 
that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin. By his life, that is, we will be saved because Christ lives today. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God, rejoicing in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation with God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power because they all sinned. Sin was committed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone when there is no law against it. Yet death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who had not sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of him, a type of Christ, who was to come. But in reverse, Adam brought destruction. Christ brought salvation. But the free gift of God is not like the trespass, because the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. For if many died by one man's trespass, Adam's sin, much more abundantly did God's grace and the gift that comes by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to benefit the many. Nor is the gift of grace like that which came through the one who sinned. For one on the one hand, the judgment, for on the one hand, the judgment following the sin resulted from one trespass and brought condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift resulted from many trespasses and brought justification, the release from sin's penalty for those who believe. For if by the trespass of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in eternal life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one trespass, Adam's sin, there resulted condemnation for all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For just as through one man's disobedience, his failure to hear, his carelessness, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous and acceptable to God and brought into right standing with him. But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased, God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, his unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also Grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The back row can wake up now. I'm joking. See, it's interesting. When the Lord told us to do this, um, it's also really good for us to learn how to sit under the Word and actually just listen. Because that's, that's actually, this is what changes our lives. And uh, I just find, I think in a world where we're, we're, 
you know, you get that instant gratification, everything that we do, social media, series, whatever. You know, everything's designed that way. It's interesting to see how long we can just sit under the word, just sit and, and listen. Um, and so I, even in my own life, I'm trying to uh, audibly listen to and just train myself to listen and really engage with the word of the Lord. But it's also, it's a beautiful thing. And, and if it's not Holy Spirit who's leading us, then it's just a duty. And that's not what we want. We want to be led by the Spirit in the Word. And so thank you, courts, for doing that. So Romans 5 is where we're going to be uh, in the Scriptures today. We might jump around if we, if we have the time. If you are new to 24-7 and you don't know who I am, my name is Connor. And uh, I am part of leading the team that leads the church. Uh, and uh, we are so grateful and excited about what the Lord's doing in 24-7. And this morning, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the room, so give me grace to just navigate uh, what the Lord's saying. And um, there was something so significant on uh, forerunners of love, as my mom was sharing that, and then my dad began to just release an expression of what the Lord was doing. Uh, there was just an anointing on that. He's touching our hearts. He's healing our hearts. Um, but I do feel that the Lord is really after us in a way that we don't understand yet because sometimes our perceptions of God, not even sometimes, always, our perceptions of God affect the way that we receive from Him. So A.W. Tozer said it like this, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. If you believe in a God who's upset with you, disappointed in you, frustrated with you, or you have actually hurt Him, then uh, you're not going to find yourself in a place where you're able to actually receive from Him. And so majority of Christians in today's world know that they've messed up, know they've made mistakes, or maybe know that they're not necessarily living in relationship with God, but they don't know how to come back to that place that He's paid for because they still think that He has a certain view or perception of who they are. The dangerous thing is that we start to create a God in our own image because we think that He feels about us the way we feel about ourselves. Do you get what I'm saying? And it's just not true. The Lord loves us. He's passionately in love with us, and uh, I think the, the, the reason for what we're seeing right now in specifically the Western church, where there's a lack of the evidence and substance of God in our everyday life, the reason for that is because we've preached a very domesticated gospel. We've preached a very um, easygoing gospel that's easy to hear, easy to take, easy to receive, uh, easy to plug it into your life, and the reality is the gospel is so wild, it's so outrageous, it's so fiery, uh, it is a come and die message, and then a come and live in him message, it's, it should be something that is so astounding and so crazy that we spend the rest of our time on the earth just trying to comprehend it. And I find in my own heart, in my own life, I become cold or lukewarm when I'm no longer preaching the gospel to myself. And these, this is why we meditate on the Word. This is why we read the Word. And um, can I just say this? Having relationship with Jesus or having a relationship with God does not just mean reading your Bible every day, listening to some worship music, and making sure you do your devotions. I have, I have a feeling it's not up to us, it's up to the Lord, but I have a feeling there's a lot of people doing that today that don't even know Him. And He didn't pay for that although it's beautiful and I love that and I, I would invite you all to actually do those disciplines and practices. But God is not looking for laborers, even though He's going to use laborers. He's looking for lovers. He didn't pay a price on the cross just to get you to a place where He could use you. 
He paid a price on the cross because he wants to live in eternity, in intimate relationship and oneness with you. And the byproduct of that is that we become sanctified to our original purpose, which is to be carriers of the glory of God on the earth. That's where the labor comes. The, the work starts when we become lovers. It's not the other way around. Often in the church, we want to become workers so that we can be lovers. Can I ask you this question? I was provoked this week uh, by this thought, and I heard a, a pastor say this. He said, what do you think attracts God to you? Like, why does God want to come and, and be with you? Why does He want to come spend time with you? When you go and get alone with God, why do you think God is attracted to you? Why does He love your worship? Why does He want to come and touch your life? Is it a certain heart posture? Like, what do we need to do to get God to come? I'm, I'm concerned. I see it in my own life, and I, I, this week just been pondering around so much of the church we do things because we think we've got to be in a certain place, posture, or, or position in order for God to actually come and do something in our lives. And we actually teach these things. So we teach in order for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, make sure you're not in debt, you're clean, you've actually stopped smoking. Uh, you've like you've got to do something to get to a place so that He can actually come. Well, here, let me just break that one this morning and just say this. We're not asking God to come. He came. And, and my Bible says, we just read it now in Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what was he attracted to? Are you with me? Why did he want to be with you? I don't think it had to do with your behavior. I think from the very moment breath entered your lungs, that your, your design and your purpose was to be intimate with a God that you cannot see in this realm, but were born to live with for eternity. I know I've said this so many times, but it's why I think cell phones and, and technology and stuff was such a clever little ploy from the enemy. Because every one of us have a desire to communicate with someone we can't see. Because we're not natural people, we're spiritual people. We know that we can talk to, to beings and people we don't see. So we have this internal desire to communicate. And so it's so amazing that there's this device that now robs us of you know, nearly 100% of our time. And begins to teach us how to look for instant gratification and we forget and we don't know how to wait anymore. And so now God's silence means He doesn't care. Now when we, we don't know how to wait on God anymore because we're used to getting what we want now. And so, so waiting on God and if He doesn't say something within the next five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, half an hour, well now I've got to go to work and God obviously doesn't care about me today. We live in this place of thinking that somehow either we've got to do something for God to come or actually my perception of Him is that He wasn't here anyway. Or he didn't seem to actually care about talking to me. He knows I need answers in the situation. Where is he? And so we get caught up in this weird, twisted version of what we call Christianity that's completely self-centered, completely orientated around our own desires and wants, and our perception of the Father begins to shift. And the moment that happens, we, we no longer know how to come back to that finished work of Jesus where there's perfect access to the fullness of who He is every moment of every day, even in your deepest, darkest sin. See, this is how wild Jesus is. While you were a sinner, He died to make you holy. You had, you had no role to play in that. I don't, know, I don't know if you understand how much He wants you. That's what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to provoke this morning. I'm going, I don't think we get how much God wants you. 
He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's not waiting for behavior modification. Transformation only happens in an exchange. You can't do it. So now my heart gets stirred because I go, God, the reason so many people are living a Christian life where their heart is sincere, and could I ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart this morning to just hear, really hear what I'm saying because my heart needs this. I'm I'm preaching to myself. But I'd I'd ask you to posture yourself in that place. Say, Lord, just soften my heart so I can really hear this. So many people are living in this tension of a sincere desire to know God and working so hard to prove to yourself that you're in a place that's acceptable to know Him. Do you hear what I'm saying? So, language like this. Well, I'm just not in a good place right now. Well, according to the Scriptures, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. So, to say, I'm just not in a good place, I'm just, you know... Uh, this week, I have, I've had no time alone with God. If I can just say, say it like this as well. Your sin is powerless to change the heart of God towards you. See, I could maybe just stand here and say that one sentence about 16 times until it hits home. Because I can see it's like, uh, yeah, for real? Your sin is powerless to change the heart of God towards you. See, why, why does God hate sin? He doesn't hate sin because it affects Him. He hates it because it affects you. Because what happens is you make a mistake and you think it's hindered you, but He's going, it hasn't. But the thing is, what you perceive about Him affects how you receive. And so now you no longer come when He says, run! So the cycle that Christians are living in is, I make a mistake or I'm stuck, and then I don't know how to convince myself that it's okay for me to be here with Him. It's, he actually, it's like, I can't, sometimes I, our minds, we, we can't seem to understand that he's not ashamed of me, he's not embarrassed by that thing, or that struggle, or the fact that I haven't been disciplined in those things, or it doesn't affect him, it doesn't change his heart, he looks at you and he sees the finished work of the Son. He's still saying the same thing he's been saying since he was hanging on the cross, Kala, it is finished, perfect bride. See, you don't get it, but it's Okay. I'm going, Jesus, uh, we need him. We need to be that, that bride who's leaning on her beloved coming out of the wilderness. We need to walk with a lean, not a limp. A lean. It's a dependency. You will never graduate from the grace of God. The moment we think we are graduating from his grace, that, well, now I've got a role to play and I've got to actually get this thing you know, looking right, and that's the moment we come out of grace, put ourselves back under the law, and the moment you are under the law, you are entangled in a cycle of sin. Because you might say, well, how can you say that? Because I, I actually am not making any, you know, big significant mistakes, or I think I'm actually quite a good person. Well, the reality is if, the, if there's a second in your day that you're not in faith, you've just sinned. <laughs> so, so the reality is when we were born, We were born into sin, born with a sinful identity, and we needed a Savior. And it's been like that from the beginning. Since Adam until now, when you're born, you need Christ. And your journey of growing up is actually a journey of learning your need for Him until you come to that realization and then the divine exchange happens. I give you my life and I receive yours. And in that that exchange, you come into your purpose and your, your, your original design in Him. 
So if you look through the New Testament, you won't find any teachings or any examples of people trying to get into God's presence. You just won't find it. The reason is because in the Old Covenant, that was the journey. Come to a place where the presence of God, God has decided that is where His presence will be. Come to the Old Covenant four-walled temple and come to a place where it's okay for you through the sacrifices of the priests and whatever to come and encounter God and you can experience Him in that place. That's Old Covenant. New Covenant is this. He ripped the veil in two from top to bottom, meaning this. No place is safe on the earth from the presence of the Lord. He ripped it. He didn't just cut a hole and go, let's leak some. He ripped the thing. It's open. So he wants out of the the old covenant example. He wants out of the old covenant buildings. He wants out of place and he wants people. Are you hearing me? So he hits the earth with a force to be reckoned with. And the Holy Spirit has now been granted permission by the Father to possess all things. Everyone that would yield to him, he will fill. So now the journey is not how to get into God's presence. It's God's presence getting into you. It's why multiple times throughout the new, in, in the book of Acts, you see they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and He shakes the room, and He fills them. And you think, okay, but now they've, they've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, so now what's next? And then there's another one. He shakes the room, and He fills them. There's this lifestyle of an infilling, a receiving the presence of God, invading my life, and changing me. Because here's the thing. We have settled for a domesticated presence of God in our meetings, where it's okay. And we, I felt it this morning, and I, I feel the heart of God. He's a shepherd. He loves people. He's taking us on a journey. He's not, he's not behind us with a stick saying, get your act together. He's leading us by His voice. And so this morning, we hit moments where we have choices. We have a choice to lean in and go deeper, and we have a choice to stay where we are comfortable. And, and we've been trained just by the world and by life to settle for the easiest option that makes us feel okay. We're in survival mode as society, and the reality is we do it in the church. And so we'll settle for the presence of God that gives me goosebumps and makes me feel a little bit better about where I'm at right now. But actually, what about the presence of God that will transform you and make you like Him? Because you will never do it. The Christian life has never been about your attempt at Christ-likeness. I've said this a million times. I'll preach it till I'm dead. You can never be like Him in your own strength. What He's asking you to do is to receive Him. And when you receive Him, He will make you like Him. That's the gospel. We just heard a whole chapter on it. If I had the time, I'd teach it line by line. The first verses of this chapter says, Since we have been, since we have been justified. Have been. Are you hearing me? Have been justified. That is acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God. By faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God. <laughs> you have peace with God. Full stop. You have peace with God. God. You have peace with Him. You've been reconciled to Him. In fact, it says it. We have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have access by faith into this remarkable state of grace in which we firmly and safely and securely stand. Let us rejoice in our hope and the confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God. So let me put it very bluntly for you. There's nothing you can do about it. He loves you full stop and He wants you in His glory face to face with Him so He can make you like Him. That's what He wants. Full stop, non-negotiable, don't send me an email because I won't reply. (laughs) 
It's just there. Go read your Bible. He's madly and fiercely and ferociously in love with you. He's pursuing you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. In the Old Testament, we came knocking saying, please let us in. In the New Testament, He's knocking on your heart saying, let me in. There was 400 years of silence. And the, and the, and the, the Jews thought, well, what, what, there's no prophets. What's happened? God's gone quiet. And, and this is a good example of how when God goes quiet, we think He no longer cares or He's upset. The funny thing is, in 400 years of silence, what they were waiting for was God to speak. And then when He came, He didn't just say, okay, now I'll let you come back into my presence. He said, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to actually fill a vessel like you. I'm going to come and actually touch lepers and sinners. And I'm going to actually hold adulterers. And I'm going to, this is Jesus. He's going, I'm coming to you and I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm going to show you my grace. I'm going to show you kindness and mercy. And it's every single time people encountered a God, a Messiah who was not so concerned with this natural realm, but saw the kingdom of heaven as a realm of hearts where the, uh, where the dominion of God was coming and, and taking lordship and rulership over a whole people, filling them with the Spirit of God. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. And they're looking for the armies. They're looking for the natural realm response. And He's saying, you're looking wrong. He's saying, open up your eyes. See who I am. I've come to you. This isn't about me coming to fetch you to take you somewhere. This is about me coming and invading. It's the same thing I believe that Jesus is returning. The second coming of Jesus is real. But let me just tell you, it's not how we think it is. There are two realms that are going to collide. He's going to make one realm. It's the realm of eternity. It's you and Him. It's intimacy. And the work's going to finish. And He's going to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's going to be done. And then when you have no work to do, what will you do then? See, you don't have to get yourself together for God to come. We don't have the capacity in and of ourselves to love. Hello. Romans 5.5, 5, just so that I don't get emails. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You don't even know how to love without Him. What the world's calling love right now is not love, it's need. It's broken need. I'm, I'm, I'm like, Jesus, do this in my heart. Fill me with your love because when you fill me with your love, my perspective changes. My perspective for life. My perspective for people. Do you know what the enemy of the gospel is? It's not the devil. Because I just see, one day we'll get there to these deep things that I desperately want to teach. But I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm a firm believer that Armageddon happened. Happened on the cross. He, Jesus made a public spectacle, that's what it says. He made a public spectacle of every demonic king, ruler, d demon, Satan, finished. You're done. The devil's done. He's not the enemy of the gospel. Do you know who the enemy of the gospel is? Self. That's why Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and then follow me. The enemy to transformation, the transforming power of the gospel is self. It's flesh. It's need. The only need that's justified in the kingdom is our need for the, for the Savior, for Jesus. See, freedom... Freedom is, is we, we talk about freedom, it's not the ability to do what we want to do. Freedom is, is to be free from yourself so that you can truly be loved. That's what Jesus modeled. 
Because Jesus, he was freedom. He's the embodiment of freedom. And yet he comes to the earth and he serves. He had every right to make himself an earthly king and to do whatever he wanted to do, yet he didn't do that. He came and took the lowest of the low. See, why am I saying this? Because I, my heart is aching. I'm just saying, Jesus, I do not want to live a life. I do not want to live a life every day where I can do the things of Christianity with no evidence of God in my daily life. Do you understand what I'm saying? The evidence of God. It is not okay. It's, we should not settle in our hearts for a lifestyle of doing the things but never really knowing. Having an opinion but never actually experiencing truth. Having one-way conversations with God but never taking the time to really hear from my own heart and my own life the glorious voice of Jesus that thunders like many waters. For you to experience the Holy Spirit does not require you to do anything to prove yourself to God. It requires you to yield. He's not looking for you to get your act together. He's looking for you to surrender to Him. Raise your white flag. Game over. I'm done. Can't do it. Can I just tell you that you're not going to get free from cycles of sin or brokenness by trying to fix it. I'm a professional fixer. That's what I tell myself. And I suck at it, actually, because I, I always want to fix, 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 fix. And the reality is, that's not how you see transformation. You have to let go. You have to give it to God. You have to surrender. And when you do that, He, be, he begins to do something that is so supernatural, it far supersedes what you even thought would happen or what you thought was capable. The redemption of God, the, 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 the power of the gospel... It is so wild. It's so crazy. It's, it's, it's literally life and death. I love that um, this guy I was listening to this week, he, he talks about how Jesus comes to a broken people. He comes to us. And when everybody else is looking at each other and going, you know, no compassion, no mercy, just judgment and criticism, he looks at us and goes, live. So we have a God who looks at us and goes, live. He's speaking resurrection life over us. So ask yourself this question, because I know this is the story of my life. Why is it that you can look at the world and, and say, you know, there was once a time in, in your life, or I can say in my life, there's once a time where I was, you know, doing the things that I should have been, there should have been consequences that, that were heavy and destroyed me, but I never had those consequences. I was saved. Or maybe you were, you know, dealing drugs and, doing, and you, should, you should be in jail, but you're not. Why? Because there's a God who loves you who looked at you and said, live. There's a God who looks at you and said, mercy, who said, grace, who looks at you and says, son, daughter, in the midst of that, in the midst of your brokenness. He is so, see, I, I, I'm like asking Jesus, help me, give me words. English is so limited. Because here's the thing, it's like we have to, we have to understand how desperately the Father wants you. For him to give his son, it tells us in Romans 5 that that was the love of God demonstrated for us. He gave himself to be brutally killed, crucified as your substitute. There is nothing left for God to do. He has done it. He didn't say it's kind of finished, it's nearly done. He said, 
kalah, which is not just it's finished. Kalah does not mean finished task. It means the perfection of a bride on her wedding day. You have, to, you have to hear me. He didn't just say the task is done. That's not what he said. He said the bride is perfect. It's why I believe Armageddon happened on the cross because if she's perfect, what the heck is going on there now? No, here's the thing. He married us and then he prepares the bride. He didn't. See, we think we have to be prepared in order to be married. No, he married us on the cross. Let me, let me give you an example. When you get married, the, the bridegroom is standing at the end of the altar and the father takes the bride and walks her down to her husband, right? So Jesus makes a way on the cross. He's hanging on the cross, says, Kalah, my beautiful, perfect, complete, radiant, other words, bride. And the father can now take the bride and present her to the bridegroom. What do you think is happening right now? The bride is being presented to Jesus who's paid a price. He paid the, the full price for his bride. And now the father is leading us step by step to him. There's a collision coming. It's the bride and the bridegroom. That's the second coming of Jesus. That is not orientated and centered around destru the destruction of the earth. Hello. So maybe you've been in a place where you read your Bible, say your prayers, do your devotions, and yet what you're looking at in your life is the, the, the reflections or the, the expressions of a character that is ungodly. Maybe you, you're doing the things, but you look at your life and you don't see Christ. I want to tell you that's what it looks like to live under the law. That's where Paul says, I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? The doing is a good thing when it comes from being. When the doing is unto trying to be, that's when we lose the plot. See, guilt, shame, and condemnation will tell you to patch and fix. Freedom tells you to let go and to let God. Stop trying to fix yourself and start giving yourself to the Lord as you are. You're not going to get free because you figured out how to do it. You're going to get free because you gave it to Him. See, He's already paid the price. He's just asking for you to let him do it, the expression of it in your life. See, according to him, you are free. It's why you can be in your deepest, darkest, most horrible moment, and he looks at you like you're perfect, like his son, because you're covered in the blood. To him, you are free. It's the Holy Spirit who now manifests the, full, the fullness and finished work of Jesus in your everyday life when you yield to him. And so the difference is giving up our rights to believe anything about ourselves that's different to what the Father does. That's what we have to do. Give up our rights, the, thing, the ones we think we have, to believe anything about ourselves that the Father doesn't. Where we think, you know, 
yeah, God, I know God says that about me, but I just don't feel that. Well, that's called arrogance. That's called pride. That's called self. That's the enemy of the gospel. You know, I, I'm, I'm on this journey and I'm seeing it in my own life. I'm Jesus, help me, mercy, grace. But I can see that so much of what we are calling the demonic on the earth, we are giving the devil and his demons so much glory. And I think they are like, wow, just astonished at how much attention we give them. Do you know that, that the, the, if you to read Galatians 5, what, what we call demonic are actually described as fruits of the flesh. Your, your fleshly nature, your sinful, carnal, earthly nature apart from Jesus is a very yucky thing. It's an ugly looking thing. And it probably manifests worse than a demon. Because when I, when I, seriously, when I study the Gospels, I'm like, when the demons manifest, they run away. And then we have church services now where manifestations happen. And it doesn't seem like the demon's running. It's just making a big, loud noise and a mess. And then what we do is, because we're panicking now that it doesn't seem to be leaving, let's just make it go quiet and then say they're free. There was, no, there was probably no demon there. It's just their flesh freaking out. So you don't cast the flesh out. You crucify it. There is so much ministry going on in the church today that is actually... The need is not for laying on of hands and deliverance. The need is for right believing. The need is for us to shift our perspective and go, do I believe who God says that I am? And now I need to begin to walk in that. And I walk in it by faith, which means I can apprehend and say it's mine even though it doesn't feel like it. This is the walk of faith is to say it is mine because Jesus said it is. It doesn't feel like it. I still kind of, I'm still feeling all the other stuff, but it's mine because who, who am I going to believe? Are you with me? And I, I, I'm worried because I, I, I'm not sure we're, we're preaching this enough. And I, I tried. I was going to preach on worship today. I, I was going to shift. And I just, I'm like, God is just once again smashing us with the grace of God. Because that's the foundation for life. You cannot have relationship with Jesus without living from that foundation of His finished work. His mercy and His grace. It says His mercies are new every morning. Does that sound like a God who's upset with you? He wants to give you a billion second chances. It's like, he, I, I'm, I am undone by a God that is like, there is no way out of this thing. I'm coming for you. Are you hearing me? I said it. There's no way you can hide from His presence on the earth. He's so wildly in love with you. He's like, I will find you. I, I was about to do a take in Liam Neeson thing, but I won't. <laughs> I have a particular set of skills. Yeah. He's so wildly in love with you. He, uh... See, something will happen to our eyes when we get it. It's life. I'll be very transparent and honest with you. Sometimes I, c I feel like there's um, two people. Don't book me into a mental institute. But what I mean is I know when I, when I shift into the anointing, I'm home. I, I, when I'm in that space, I go like, okay, hey, I know, I, this is God, I'm, that's who I am. And here's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy is that if we see an other, a different expression of our life where we are living outside of that, we immediately make that our identity and we say that when I step into the anointing, that's being fake because it's not real. Look at this. And I, the Father's going, it's the other way around. When you are walking in the righteousness of God, 
not trying to prove yourself, not trying to be something. Just receive who the Father is, who the Father says that you are. And when you're positioned in that place, that's who you are. The fake thing is when you do anything outside of that. See, when that shift happens in your head, that's when you're positioned in victory. Because you know where home is. The problem is our home is our fallen identity. We keep coming back to that as if that's home. But God's going, that's not your home. Home is where He is. Home is the finished work of Jesus. That's where you start every morning. I don't care what happened yesterday. I don't care what happened last night. When you wake up, mercy is new. Grace woke you up to be like Him because of what He's given you. I love this. The free gift of God is not like the trespass because the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. We were talking about um, healing. As my folks were just prophesying, our hearts being healed, relationships being healed, friendships being healed in the church where there's criticism and all these things. Can you see now where, where all that's rooted? It's all coming from self. It's all coming from my right to need something and feel the way that I feel. Yet when we see the cross and we see the love of God demonstrated, we see what love actually is. What it looks like is to lay your life down for people who will spit at you, abuse you, kill you, ridicule you. That's what love looked like. Love, love was to say, I'll pay the highest price to make you everything that I am, and I'll take everything that you are upon myself. And then, and then Jesus says this wild statement, and we like to say it at missions conferences and things, but I think it has a lot more to do with love than it does with missions. He says this, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. What if when we, when we talk about heaven on earth and the kingdom on earth, what if it's not just about signs, wonders, and miracles like we've, we've gone after? It's, what if it's actually the nature of Jesus, the heart of God, the love of God revealed and made manifest on the earth that transforms lives? Do you know, I'm just letting you know, I've, I have done missions and felt like missions were successful and then realized I haven't seen transformation in people's hearts. You can have your... Facebook testimonies, do your Instagram live, high five, as many likes as you want. The reality is the evidence of the gospel is in people's hearts and lives. That's, where, that's what Jesus is after. He's not after their words. He's after their hearts. He's not chasing a prayer. He's chasing a life. God is not interested in when you signed the card that you have now in your wallet to say you gave your life to Jesus. He's interested in today and tomorrow and for all of eternity walking with Him. So the way forward for every single one of us in Jesus is to lay it down. I think it's Heidi Baker who says, the river flows to the lowest places. If you want living waters, if you want rushing, living waters that will transform whole regions, go low. I, I, I get stuck here because I'm like, I, this is only supernatural. Where I, I was just reading, it's funny you read out of John 13. I'm reading and I'm going, Lord, you knew what Judas was going to do. He, just, he, he knew, and yet he's washing this man's feet. When, when Judas came up to betray him and he kissed him, Jesus did not reject his kiss. It's like, 
remembering that moments later he was so stressed out he was dripping blood. The turmoil of what he knew his, one of his best friends was going to do to him, knowing that it's part of what he's got to do. And, but can you just imagine the love that he was filled with, of supernatural Holy Spirit love, to still receive a, a kiss of betrayal? <laughs> yeah. I just say mercy, Jesus, because I... But this is what He will do in us. He's faithful to do that. This is the finished work of the cross. This is not something that's far-fetched that we will never attain. I need you to understand that. The gospel is not a far-fetched story that God's like, do your best. Let's see if you can do it. He's saying, this is what I will do in you. This is what you were made for. This is what I designed you for. I made you for a love that far transcends and supersedes anything you think you are capable of. And the interesting thing is what, what will try to distract you from what I'm saying right now is when your heart is filled with sorrow. Because sorrow puts us to sleep. We saw it in the gardens. When Jesus, he asked them to stay awake and pray, but they keep falling asleep. And it says in Luke that they fell asleep for sorrow. Because Jesus kept saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, the time is now, I'm going to die. And they were going, but you're supposed to be the one who conquers Rome and leads us into victory. And so they knew that he was the one. They knew that he'd come to do something. They just couldn't quite see it. And instead of pressing in and leaning in to Jesus to, to watch the moment, to be present, to, to understand, they fell asleep because their hearts became hardened. And even when Jesus was raised from the dead and, and revealed himself to them, it says that some of them, their hearts were hardened. They couldn't hear him. Don't harden your heart to the gospel. See, it's weird in the worship, like we were going somewhere we could feel. And then something kind of shifted. I don't know if you guys felt it in the room. And it just starts to feel a little bit like a bit of a drag. And uh, to be quite frank, I don't really care because it wasn't really for you. It was for him anyway. But it's interesting to notice those points because we're learning as a community. I, I have those times. We all have those times. We're learning as a community how to follow Jesus. And the reason why we get to those points is because self gets loud again. And when self starts to get loud, we, we start to, to change our perception, our perspective of him, and we start perceiving. There's a place for you in your walk with Jesus where you keep a one single eye it's full of light so that your whole body can be full of light. Jesus preached on this. But there's a place where our perspective is so focused and singular, singular on Jesus and who he is that we live in a place of light. It's a, it's a, it's a state of being in him. It, there is no heaviness there. There is no darkness there because he's inviting us into himself and his burden is light, his yoke is easy. It's, it's, it's light. So even as I'm talking, maybe what you're processing is your situation, your circumstance, what you're going through. And it's so real, and there's emotions, and there's so many things that you're carrying, and I can imagine work environments and families, and there's so many things. Life is loud. It's really loud. But can I ask you this question? Is it worth it to let all of those things become the defining factors of your life, only to stand before our beautiful King of Glory one day and regret that we didn't receive what He wanted us to walk in when it was right there all along? Is it worth it for us to settle for daily lives defined and shaped by the voices of this world 
by how loud situations and circumstances get. I know it's hard. And this is what I'm saying. It's only difficult when we're trying to fix it. It's easy to run to Him. That's why we sang that song. So I run. Run into the arms of the Father. Take Him by the eyes of this lover because He said, come. That's the answer every time. When life gets loud and it gets crazy, where are you going to run to? Are you going to run to the situation and the circumstance to fix it? Or are you going to run to Him and put it back at His feet and say, my life is yours? The brokenness that we're seeing in the world today, it's not a psychological problem. Psychology was broken from the beginning. The problem is, we're still trying to do it in our own strength and we were not created that way. You were just not designed that way. The only thing that would make the message of grace or the gospel offensive to our hearts is when we're in love with ourselves instead of Jesus. If we are in a place where we hear the message of the gospel and the, the reaction in our hearts is one of the... I just say to you, just go be with the Lord and say, Lord, I, I think I might have fallen in love with myself when I was born to love you. Maybe I've fallen in love with my insecurities and my problems and my weaknesses and my junk. And I actually like, I like living in this pool of yucky brokenness. I tell, I tell myself I don't like it, but actually it's right in front of me. Jesus saying, come. And yet I still don't choose to go there. What is that? It's the flesh. I fall in love with myself instead of falling in love with him. Because I used to say fall in love with this world, and it's true. But I think what the world does is make you fall in love with yourself. Because the world keeps telling you, you can do it. You can be anything you want to be. It's garbage. <laughs> it really is. I'm just, ah. Uh, because isn't it interesting? It started like that. You can be anything that you want to be. The grind, do your thing. But then you can be anything you want to be actually became, you can literally be anything you want to be. Now we, gen, gender confusion. Now it's like we've got, I mean, I heard of stories in South Africa of kids at schools who have decided they are wolves or cats. And the parents ask them to, to please uh, make space in the classroom for a litter box. No, I'm not joking. This is real. This is in private schools in our country. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. Is it worth it to let that world dictate and define to us how we're going to live our everyday life? If Jesus, if, if the Father was so passionately in love with you that he would send his own son to die for you, he would bankrupt heaven for you, if I could put it that way. If that's how much he loves you, do you really think he's not big enough to take care of your finances and your bills and what you need to be here on this earth? If he put you here, do you not think he's the one who will keep you? Yet 90% of our lives is the stress of just trying to be comfortable, successful, or prosperous on this earth. You are prosperous. Jesus was prosperous, and yet he didn't have a home. Maybe we should redefine prosperity and say it's when you're in his voice. 
And if, if you're not in his voice, you can have all the things of this world and, and you're actually a broken, fallen, miserable person. So God loves us and he's fiercely in love with us and he's passionate about us. And what I'm trying to say today, I don't know what I'm coming up against. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm headbutting things and it's not you. It can just be things in the spirit, you know, because I just want you to know we're actually a spiritual people. You get that? So like this, it's never about individuals and people and things like that. It's just sometimes when you, I, Courtney said it to me, we were just chatting as the worship was finishing, going, okay, what's happening? And it was like, okay, preach the gospel because sometimes the resistance uh, to the gospel is because that's the very thing God's doing in the room is he wants to break in and bring freedom. And I'm more concerned with what happens to you this week than I am about how you respond to me now. So I don't mind, like, I'm okay, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, why? don't end there, like, that's heavy, you know, just bring it back up, let's get happy, and oh, come on, give the Lord a shout of praise, or, you know, like, I'm just not about that. So the reality is, what I want is that on Wednesday morning when you wake up, that you're still running to Him. That's, that's what I want. And I don't mind if, if, like, here you're maybe a little bit upset with me or offended by certain things, that's okay, I, I don't mind that, as long as what is provoking in your heart is to run after Jesus and to seek Him, Amen. And so when, you, when, when Jesus heals relationships, when he heals friendships, when he heals our hearts in any form of hurt or pain, he does it through a supernatural exchange. And I think where we get stuck is that we are waiting for him to fix my existing pain or brokenness instead of giving it to him for an exchange. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I don't know why I felt to say that, but the answer sometimes, not sometimes, all the time. See, I'm trying to be pastoral, and then I say it nicely. All the time, the answer is give it to him and receive what he has for you. How do we see reconciliation? How do we forgive? How do we see God move in those ways? A divine exchange because of the gospel. Amen. So the Lord loves you so much. I was going to read a ton of scriptures, and I never got there, but anyway. <clears throat> So you're going to leave this building like we do every week. This is a war room. This is where we come together. We, get, we encounter Jesus. We minister to him. We love him. And then we get equipped to go out. And the reality is God was never after your act of worship today. Like you, do, you haven't done your Sunday duty because you came to church and you did your act of worship. Okay. He's after the heart of worshipers. And in John 4, I'll get to preaching this when I preach on worship eventually, but he didn't say the Father's looking for worship. He didn't say that. He said he's looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. So he, he's, See, here's the difference. An act of worship happens in a place once a week. Worshipers leave this place, go home. There's things that are going to happen today. You're going to go into the week tomorrow. Worshipers are mobile. Worshippers invade the earth. Worshippers carry the glory of the Lord to the earth around us. So, we get to leave this place today and say, Jesus, I want to live in your word. I want to hear your voice. I want your word to define me and shape me and make me who I am in you. Make me a worshiper. Make me a carrier of, your, of the gospel, of the grace of God, of the glory of God. Because we just read it. It's promised. We have peace with God. We have reconciliation. And we have a confident assurance of living in His glory. That's a reason to wake up. And that's a reason to keep pressing in, to keep leaning. So maybe you're in a place you're like, man, I am in the wilderness. And I'm like, thank you. That's so encouraging. But I still feel like I'm eating sand. Well, just start leaning. Because there's a bride who comes out of wilderness times leaning on her beloved. And that's what victory looks like. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning?